Driving that coach. 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 All right, we're live for the last show. God damn it, you interrupted me. Okay, but you know, we're we're live, whatever. All right, so uh, welcome to another edition of Dropping That Culture with JD and AJ. I'm JD. And I'm AJ, and I'm laughing. <laughs> yeah, because you interrupt me, God damn it, man. If that was usually my spiel. Uh, it's cool, though. It's whatever, man. But I'm yeah. So bummed we're still not in the same place. This, this uh, lockdown's bullshit already. Yes, it is. Oh, it's been bullshit. But yeah, this has been a interesting year for Dropping That Culture. Definitely, uh, because of the fact that uh, we've been like separated most of the damn year, but we've been able to still put content out, man. You know, it's uh, it's crazy. So we're actually both doing this by Zoom right now. Well, and, uh, and the other thing, yeah. everything's pretty yeah. cool that people need to keep in mind. This is our first year having done this show. We actually uh, we've we've hit one entire year. Oh yeah, yeah. So, no, actually, I think we hit our one year thing like back in October, right? Uh, it was either October or November. I'd have to look again. But yeah, yeah. I mean, so that's the thing. I mean, we did the majority of the first season, the annual, the inaugural season here of Dropping That Culture with all this COVID bullshit going on. So if that doesn't say commitment, it's not like we've been doing the show for 10 years and we're just going to power through. No, no, no. Everything possible that could go wrong has gone wrong. And we still have right. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, like I said, thank you guys for sticking with us for our inaugural year. Uh, I know it's been rough for you. It's been rough for us. It's been rough for everybody, man. So uh, thank God we're able to get through it. And, uh, you know, I don't think any one, I don't think any collective of people has been more looking forward to the new year than basically this entire world. This is, everybody just wants this, 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 this year, this whole year to just end and just, uh, well, I mean, the next coming year might not be much better, but at the same time, it's like, this got to go. 2020 got to go. Hey, you know what? Anything gets us closer to some original new content rather than just re-releases and reruns, I'm on board with that. Me too, man. Uh, so, uh, actually, uh, because of the fact that this is going to be sort of an abbreviated show for us today, so uh, we're going we're gonna to be uh, foregoing our usual uh segment so no eddie no gary no roger uh we're gonna be going straight into the news but before we do that we do have a few sponsors especially in the holiday season uh make sure you guys go to belsaverse at teespring.com the belsaverse store at teespring.com get yourself some of that sweet belsaverse merch uh again uh this particular uh year i'm putting on a discount for those people who go in there and uh, if you want to uh, get some uh, percentage, go Belser 2020, B-E-L-S-E-R 2020. Uh, get yourself a percentage off of your purchase. And also check out the Belserverse pages on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, like I said, I'm still working on uh, uh, bringing Belserverse to Twitter. I just, want to, I just want to know how I'm able to do that, but uh, it's, it's coming. And uh, I really appreciate the support uh, in the last, especially in the last few weeks has been like booming. Uh, can't thank you guys enough. And uh, we, we also have another sponsor, don't we, AJ? 
Yes, we do. Ushooker.com for all your rugby needs. If you're interested in the sport of rugby, if you'd like to learn about rugby, if you want to figure out what in the hell these egg chasers are doing all day, go to ushooker.com. Uh, we have plenty of videos on there explaining the game uh, of rugby, all the rules, everything you need to know. In about a three and a half minute video, you can understand enough about the game to sit down, watch it, enjoy it. Uh, as I've said a million times, and I'll keep saying again, uh, I grew up watching and playing football. I love football. Uh, it was like boxing for me. Uh, and it's analogous to when I found rugby finding MMA. Uh, I just made the jump. It's, it, I still love boxing. I watch boxing. But everyone who, who's an MMA fan knows it's a completely different level. Same thing when it comes to rugby uh, versus football. Still love football. I watch football. But, man, when rugby comes on and you've got 80 minutes nonstop of these giants just trucking each other, there's, there's nothing better as far as a team sport. I don't think there's anything more difficult that you can come up with physically demanding. It's, it's fantastic. So go to ushooker.com. You can learn all about the sport. While you're there, you can pick up some merch. Uh, if you sign up today, I believe it's 10, it's either 10 or 20% off on first-time purchases. Um, if you don't want to buy anything, just like and share the content. You can also find them, US Hooker on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, just make sure you promote it out there. And uh, like I said, get to know a new sport and have some fun. I mean, here's the thing. You know, football's barely kind of starting to get back into it a little bit around here. Uh, our friends down in, in New Zealand and Australia, apparently they figured out this whole COVID thing a little bit ahead of the rest of us because they've got fresh, active, new live games you can watch right now. You can watch that stuff on ESPN+. Plus. So get ready for it. Plus, hopefully if we get our uh, act together, Major League Rugby here in the States, kickoff uh, January next year, I think is what we're – actually, they might have pushed it. It might be February now, but – Anyway, kicking off next year, uh, you want to be ready so that as soon as football is done, you can jump right into rugby. That's what's up, man. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into it. Actually, one more thing before we go into the news. Uh, we also got a uh, new, well, I won't say a companion piece to the show, but uh, I like to think of it. Uh, uh, we actually actually started a uh, new uh, kind of group uh, on uh, TikTok. Uh, called the Graveyard Shift is myself and another cat by the name of uh, Tim Mathis, a great comedian out of Houston. Uh, we both are, you know, saying working stiffs uh, and also comedic actors. So basically, what we do is we're making TikTok videos while we're bored at work. Uh, so I'm not gonna say where we work, but uh, but yeah, like we've been getting a lot of great response. Uh, we uh, started our TikTok channel a little over a week ago. Uh, we do regularly uh, do uh, new videos on Instagram on a weekly basis, usually around uh, Sunday, Monday morning. Uh, we just dropped a couple videos, multiple videos this week um, because of Christmas. Uh, but like I said, uh, just two goofy guys uh, doing like lip sync uh, parodies to different songs and stuff. So we've done like I the Tiger. We've done uh, Toto's Africa, which, by the way, is actually our most watched video. Uh, it's in the thousands right now. I'm really proud of that. Um, we also done, uh, you know, uh, Ebony and Ivory on Election Day. We did uh, a bunch of other songs, man. It just started as a fluke because we did a, a Take On Me. Uh, and we got a lot of good response for it. And then just, just kind of started from there, man. Uh, really hope you support the Graveyard Shift. Uh, actually, if you go to TikTok, uh, follow us at the Graveyard Shift Zero. Uh, that's actually the username for us. But uh, you, see, you see us, you see our videos. Uh, and I really hope you enjoy the content, man. We're having a lot of fun doing it, and we're loving the response. So follow the Graveyard Shift. Uh, you can also go to my page, The Belser, 
at Instagram. We also po- I also post videos there uh, whenever we do new videos for the graveyard shift. So hope you guys enjoy that. And and to be clear, I have nothing to do with this, and I'm gonna say absolutely watch it. It's freaking hilarious, and it'll definitely brighten your day. I know it brightens mine. So go there. So I got uh, so I traded one white sidekick for another white sidekick. <laughs> and the funny I thing mean, is, both of y'all bearded. I'm trying not to be jealous about the whole thing, but it's fine. It is weird, and the weird thing is, both of y'all are bald and bearded. Yeah, but I have a better beard, so it's okay. Nah, I'll, I'll let Tim know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, check out the graveyard shit, folks. But now let's go ahead and get into dropping that news. Dropping that news. All right. We do have some in memoriams this week, don't we? Yes, we do. Uh, Want to get those out of the way first and we can get into the fun stuff? Did we mention uh, Did we mention Tiny Lister last time? I don't believe we did. We okay, well. Uh, it's, worth, it's worth a second mention if we did. Okay, well, uh, number one mention right now, uh, the rest in peace to uh, Tom Tiny Lister. Uh, most people know him as Bebo from the Friday movies and also from uh, the Hulk Hogan classic No Holds Barred. <laughs> but he's been in also a ton of different movies. Like he was the president in The Fifth Element and he was a, a well, you know, big I, prisoner dude in The Dark Knight. In The Dark Knight. So. Yeah, I mean, actually, you know what? I do remember now I'm thinking about I, I do remember us talking about it last week, but we should continue. Yeah, but still, like, uh, man, Tony, rest in peace, Tiny Lister. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else here. Uh, who else do we have in terms Rebecca of Rebecca Lurker just passed away this morning. Who did? Rebecca Lurker. She was star of Showboat, The Music Man, Mary Poppins on Broadway. Oh yes, that's right. Oh, the dance, the dance lady. Yeah, I, I remember seeing. Uh, I saw a lot of her videos retraining uh, on Twitter uh, recently. Uh, yeah, I saw that she had passed away. So. Uh, rest in peace. I'm not really a big musical guy, but I know of her and I know of her like uh, yeah. dancing and stuff like that. So still, still bears repeating for sure. Okay, yeah. So there's that, and also, uh, also in keeping with the tone that's going to be uh, demonstrated here and dropping that news. Uh, rest in peace to Jeremy Bullock. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeremy Bullock. For those of you who are not aware was the original person in the Boba Fett outfit in the original Star Wars trilogy. He's also the original voice of Boba Fett. Uh, and like I said before, I, I just could, uh, I've always wondered the obsession with Boba Fett, but like uh, Boba Fett has uh, been able to maintain a big presence in pop culture, particularly with Star Wars, because people just love the character for it's, even though, even though his appearances in the original trilogy are limited, it made a very big impact, and Jeremy Bullock is a main reason for that. And also with the resurgence of Boba Fett in the last what couple of months, yeah. uh, it's sort of fitting that you know one Boba Fett passes away, and a new Boba Fett rises uh, in in the interim. So it's a uh, it's kind of fitting. Uh, but uh, again, rest in peace to Jeremy Bullock. Yep. Right. Uh, you got any other ones? We've been losing a few Star Wars. Uh, but no, no the uh, most of the Star Wars people I've already talked about, like you know. Uh, oh no, I know. I'm just I don't remember last time. with with him with him now. I mean, it's just been a trend where this is the year we're losing some of the original cast members. That's right. Uh, earlier this year, we lost Peter Mayhew, and then we lost uh, Kenny Baker. 
We also lost uh, most recently uh, David Prowse before Jeremy Bullock. So yeah, a lot of the original Star Wars people are you know checking out, man. They better be protecting James Earl Jones. Oh yeah, he. Oh That one's gonna hurt just for a number of reasons. And actually, since you brought that up, unless you have any more rest in pieces. No, I don't think so. Not not off the top of my head here. Okay, so uh, since we talked about James Earl Jones just now, uh, the new trailer for Coming to America, uh, the sequel to the to original Coming to America from 1988, was released yesterday. Uh, it's been getting, um, I, I would say, more positive reviews than negative. But from what I can uh, generalize of the premise that they presented for the for the movie, uh, apparently it's 30 years later. Uh, you know, still uh, Zamunda is a uh, in a uh, state of flux right now because of the fact it looks like the king, uh, uh, Joffrey Jofer, played by James Earl Jones, is dying. So uh, Akeem and Lisa uh, are now going to be ascending to the throne as the king and queen of Zamunda. But apparently the succession of uh, Zamunda is only through the male heirs. And apparently they discovered that Akeem has a son, apparently from his first little trip to New York. Uh, and they have to find a son and groom him to be the next prince of uh zamunda and also you see like the cast that they've added to the movie uh leslie jones tracy morgan uh newcomer named jermaine fowler who apparently is playing the son uh they also added a singer uh singer dancer tiana taylor and wesley snipes uh to the cast and wesley snipes looks hilarious in the trailer uh, so he killed it, like he killed it in uh, the Dolomite thing with Eddie Murphy. I'm, I'm sure you're gonna do it again with this coming to America role. And um, also, uh, of course, they added, you know, they they brought all the original characters back, and they actually show them in the trailer. So the barbershop guys are all back. Randy Watson's back. You know, apparently he got fat. He looks like like you know, looks like more like Elvis now than he did back in the day. And I uh, like Randy Watson better. Exactly. Uh, the preacher's <laughs> back. You know, Arsenio Hall's the preacher's back. And then they added some new voodoo-looking character played by Arsenio Hall, who I'm very intrigued by because, like, I don't, know, I don't know what it was, but he appeared in the uh, trailer. It just made me laugh. Because like, <laughs> he looks so crazy. And I saw a lot of reaction videos to the trailer. And one question that kept coming up, particularly when they showed the barbershop guys and all those different characters, how the hell are they still alive? That was the one question that everybody had, like, because they were old in 1988. I can only imagine like, like, you know, like, how old like, are they now. 30 years later, they could be in their 90s. Yeah, but they're like, damn, all of them in their <laughs> 90s? Like, all, yeah, all of them in their 90s, and they look almost exactly the same. <laughs> well, I mean, it just means they discovered the, the, the cure to eternal life, and apparently, or the secret to eternal life, is apparently hanging out in the barbershop and talking shit all day. Basically, uh, yeah, apparently, yeah. I, mean, it, it I know for, for both of us, one of the hardest things about this is we, we can't go to our cigar shop and talk shit all day. I know it sucks too. It really does, man. It, like, it that's... really feeds your soul, man. So there you go. Yeah. So hey, shop, hang out with your, with your uh, people and talk shit all day. It's a good way to good way to live. Damn right it is. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I said, that that actually comes out on Amazon Prime Video March fifth. So we got that on the way. What do you think about it? Because everybody's doing all these digital only releases. We saw the theater windows get decimated across the board. 
during this where they're all getting into these horrible renegotiates where they're down to 30 day windows. I'm, I'm honestly worried what this is going to mean for, for the future of cinema. I feel like the multiplexes are basically in their death throes and we're probably going to lose what we had in, in terms of the theatrical experience. If we do, I really think that sucks because I enjoy the theater experience. And I don't want the theater experience to go the way of the drive-in where it's becoming a novelty. Like I actually enjoy, you know, giving a popcorn and going to the movies, man. Like freaking like it's, plus it's just like, you know, it's a dating thing. You know what I'm saying? Like you got yeah. a girl, we go see a movie together. Or if you got some homeboys, you know what I'm saying? It's a it's a it's a thing where you know what I'm saying, you can go you can go to the movies for multiple things, man. Like when you're younger, you and your homeboys to go, like I know me and my homeboys, you can go for the theater hop. Get out of the house just and spend the whole Oh my god, yeah, just like and then like a uh, uh scalp a ticket for one movie and then just like go theater hopping the whole day and then <laughs> just go see everything. <laughs> and um freaking like uh yeah, but like I just I really don't hope I really hope they'll find a way to fix this because I like going to the movies and I, Man, I'm I just, pretty I, sure. I don't think theater's gonna ever go completely away, but I think they're move they're moving towards the novelty thing. You're gonna see probably a half of them. We'll start closing up nationwide in the long run. It's gonna it's gonna hit it's gonna hit bigger metropolises like like L.A., San Diego, San Francisco, New York, places that have like millions of people and lots of options. Yeah, more than it'll hit like say like Middle America, like you know like Wyoming or Utah or something like that. Like they're they're gonna probably hang onto their theaters a bit longer because mm-hmm. there's just not as many options in terms of entertainment. But I mean, dude, now having a home theater. A home media room is not that insanely expensive and like you know most middle class people like they just pay that money to get that and if you don't have everybody going to theaters and that's the other thing too the theater's getting so expensive like you know take my wife out or something for the night you know we're going to be in 80 bucks when you get popcorn drinks and tickets yeah. i don't know man it's just it's got me it's got me worried because i'm like you dude like i'm a i'm kind of an old school purist when it comes to that like i love going to the movie theater i love getting the popcorn getting the drinks finding my seat having a screen that's bigger than you know the entire damn room basically like the whole wall is nothing but a screen like that's awesome yeah i agree with that man it's a communal thing you know what I'm saying the community yeah. comes there like we all enjoying this movie together none of us know each other you know what I'm saying? We'll probably never see each other again but we all enjoying this one movie for this well movie. dude like you were talking about when you went and saw the avengers yeah like yeah. that whole thing, like, you know, with the, you know, the everybody dying and the resurrection of that, like that whole thing, like having that experience as a community is, it, it's a hell of a lot of fun. And it makes a story watching, like, just as a slight, it's like kind of aside, the first time I saw Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. I hated that movie. I thought it was stupid. And then I was hanging out with my uncle. My uncle, my uncle, uh, like, he loved that movie. He thought it was like the funniest thing he'd ever seen. And so, we hadn't seen him for a while. We we're kind of letting, you know, being, he was a guest. We let him pick, okay, what do you want to do? What do you want to watch? Watching that movie with him made me love that film. Yeah. Because there's something about being able to have that interaction, that communal thing, and just the way other people maybe experience it that can change the experience for you. And if you push everything to direct to digital, then, well, we're going to sit home, watch shit by ourselves all the time. Like, that's depressing. Yeah, it's very depressing. And uh, for the old oh, brother, Will Art Thou thing, I actually, first time I watched that was actually in, in high school because we watched it for, uh, it was something, because they uh, compared it to the Odyssey because I think we were reading that at the time. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, uh, I saw the similarities and shit. Like, so, okay, so 
that's what it was. But uh, yeah, man, like freaking, uh, I really, really hope that they find a way to fix this whole theater situation. I don't want the theaters to go, especially go for Everett. Houses. So what? Go for Everett. No, go for what? Go for Everett. That's that. It's that fucking line from Oh Brother. Oh Boy. yeah, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> That and uh, the other the other line that I fell in love with from that show was, "Well, ain't this place just a geographical oddity? Two weeks from everywhere." <laughs> yeah, like freaking out. All I really remember from that movie is like the uh, the Cyclops, John Goodman, the Sirens. Oh. Uh, yeah, the girls singing at the river and shit. And uh, what's the other shit? Uh, the song, the big song. I ain't that way every That bullshit. Oh yeah, dude. I actually forgot about the song until you said it. The stuff that I remember, there's like a handful of lines, like when the little kid steals the car and and takes them to help them get away from uh, from his cousin or whoever it was that was turning them to the cops. He goes, "I'm gonna R U N N O F T" because they can't spell and it's run off. Yeah, he thinks he needs to, to run away from home. Like, there's a couple lines like that. And of course, like the John Goodman beating the hell out of him as the phony Bible salesman is pretty funny. Yeah, man. So, hey, old brother Warren, though. Yeah, it's got. Sorry for the rabbit show, but it's got a couple of good moments. And I and here's the thing. This is my whole point. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that communal side of things, you end up missing out on some stuff. Like I, the the reason why I think I hated it the first time, I gave up on it too soon. I didn't finish it. I'll be honest. Like I didn't finish the film. I was like, ah, I don't get what this is. Whatever. I, I just yeah. turned it off. So yeah. sometimes getting into that thing where you kind of lock in with an audience, like another good example um, of a movie that I would have walked away from if I wasn't watching it in the theater was Drive. <clears throat> Did you ever watch Drive? The uh, Ryan Gosling movie? Yeah. No. <laughs> so I saw, I read an article and it was basically written, I think it was on imdb.com, might have been uh, Hollywood Reporter, but basically it was, he was calling it, it's an obituary for a film. And so he was describing how this film was basically dying on the vine. Nobody was seeing it. And it was a shame because it was such a great film. Talked about it, had European pacing at the beginning, but then was like an action tour to force and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, ah, whatever. So I I had some time. I was in Vegas and I wasn't doing anything. So I went to this theater just off the strip. And because I paid and sat down in the theater, I hung in there. And the first 20 minutes maybe 30 minutes, it's, it, he's right. It's very European pacing. It's very slow. It's a ton of character development stuff. Like it was one of those movies that I, if it was on TV, I would have turned the channel. But I was locked in because it was a theater. And thank God that I was locked in because as soon as the turn happens and it becomes this action pseudo revenge kind of a thing, holy shit, dude. Like one of, it's one of those ones that for me, it kind of like, I always kind of like, yeah, you know, Ryan Gosling, like it was, you know what, it was probably the best example it was like uh, Matt Damon when he did Born Identity. It took okay. it to a whole new level. Because, I mean, you think of Ryan Gosling, you always think of him as like the indie drama guy. And like, you know, he's the kind of softer drama dude. Yeah. No, he's got an edge in this film, dude. That I mean, it's like Taxi Driver kind of an edge. Okay. Fantastic cool. film to watch. And again, that's one of those ones, back to our point here. You know, if you don't have the theater and you can't lock people in, you can't do that kind of stuff. There's a lot of great stories and great things that are going to get in the spot on. So, yeah, we'll see. And, yeah. And also real quick on the remake tip. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned this last time. Uh, Seth MacFarlane is producing a remake of Revenge of the Nerds. Dude, I did not see that. <laughs> yeah. Great. 
Yeah, Seth MacFarlane's uh, producing it, and it's going to be starring uh, the Lucas Brothers. Uh, for those of you not familiar with the Lucas Brothers, uh, they're these twin comedians, black dudes. Uh, they have a very dry, monotone like delivery, but they're hella funny, and they're very cultural in terms of like the references they do for like a lot of the comedy. Uh, they also like myself, big wrestling fans. Uh, they're particularly big fans of Brett, Brett the Hitman Hart, which I am too. And uh, but uh, they also had a kind of like a star making turn in uh, the 21 Jump Street movie with uh, Jonah Hill and uh, Channing Tatum. I think they were in the one where they went to college and they were just like these weird ass roommates. Uh, they, I think they were all staying in the same dorm and they would just be weird ass roommates to the main characters. And they would just kept coming up with these crazy one liners. Uh, eventually, they did a lot of uh, appearances on The Tonight Show, particularly with Jimmy Fallon. They did uh, a lot of stuff on Conan O'Brien, I believe. And they also uh, had their own cartoon at one point, which I was a big fan of, the Lucas Brothers Moving Company. When they had, when uh, Fox had that, uh, Fox or FXX or whatever had that animation domination block for yeah. a little while. Yeah. Uh, one of the shows was the Lucas Brothers Moving Company. And it was like saying, it's the same thing. It's just basically these two dudes, slacker stoners, fucking going on these different weird ass adventures and shit. And it was really funny because they had like a great like cast uh, in terms of people who would come in and do voices. They had like uh, uh, Eric Andre and Gerard Carmichael, a lot of the hot young comedians at the time. Uh, Hannibal Barris did a lot of joke voices on the show. Uh, uh, those are the, uh, then they had like rappers like uh, Danny Brown and uh, couple other people i think snoop did an episode too but like freaking like uh it, it's really a really funny show and a really funny comedians and like i said they they're doing a remake of revenge of the nerds and apparently i looked it up a little bit um they're not going to be doing a almost exact remake of the 84 original uh, like, uh yeah, too much sexual harassment for all the woke oh my god yeah like freaking like uh pretty much uh there's a rape scene in it. like in, a lot of people don't even realize there's a rape scene in it the whole thing where uh, uh, was Lewis dresses up like Darth Vader and like pretty much eats out the uh, <laughs> the Jot's girlfriend, and but she thinks it's the Jot, and like all of a sudden because he ate her out so good, she's all of a sudden in love with him. Uh, it, it is weird because like yeah, it was, he did that without well, her. Just, like, remember the dude sticking his dick through the hole in the girl's shower? That's no, that's Porky's. Oh, Porky's, sorry. I, I get them all confused when it comes to I get it confused. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 you know, same shit, you know, nerds in the 80s trying to get laid. Dude, there yeah. was, um, there's a whole episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It's like this ski movie where they're doing this, the ski day or some kind of weird thing. And they make fun of all these 80 movies. And yeah. like, there's a half dozen different things where they're making fun of like how ridiculous some of these 80s comedies were, where it was like, like you said, legitimately sexual harassment rape like molestation all this shit that was going on where like they're sticking their dicks in holes and like flashing women and like ripping women's tops off and like stupid ridiculous oh, yeah the pan yeah the panty rage shit yeah that you yeah, can get yeah, away with that, that now. Shit where it's just like like i mean the only one that i think um came close to it but didn't cross the line strangely enough is animal house yeah right because the worst you got with john belushi is he's a bit of a peeping tom which is still a problem but it's no, I would say no. But you remember the Tom Holst thing where he had the, the mayor's daughter and she was underage. Yeah, well, I mean, but the only thing too there in that one is he he actually takes her home. But still, like she's and underage. He, and he didn't. He, well, I know, but he didn't know, and he takes her home. He doesn't actually do anything with her, right? The angel wins out. 
when you have the okay. angels shoulder thing. Okay. Pro, I'm just saying. Oh, I'm just saying compared to the other '80s movies, I'm not saying that he, you should do it today. And again, I'm comparing this to that whole string of like frat comedies that you had going on there in the '80s, where like they clearly across the line on all this shit. Yeah. Like the worst part about that in particular is they got an underage girl at a party and they got her drunk. Like none of that mm-hmm. shit has been happening for sure. But compared to like Porky's. And revenge and any one of the Revenge of the Nerds, because that's like a common thread in all the Revenge of the Nerds. Is that yeah. there's always there's always something that they're tricking girls somehow into having sex with them and all this other stuff where you're like, well, I'm pretty sure we're crossing yeah. the line. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh but yeah, yeah interesting, uh, thing, interesting to see how they handle that. Um, shall we say heritage in this franchise? Yeah, so apparently they're taking the whole you know two thousands nerd culture. Uh, approach to it. I'm interested to see how they do that. Um, I, just hope it's not, I just hope it's not Big Bang Theory, the movie. Yeah, me. Yeah, me too. And I hope you know. Hope they don't get too you know politically correct, where you know they're talking about you know like nerd culture and cancel culture and all that bullshit. And you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I, since Seth MacFarlane's doing it, I'm slightly more positive on it because I mean I know he was just like. I think what was it, this last episode, the Christmas episode for Family Guy, they kind of slammed the whole culture just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, they did. So I'll give you that. So uh, if, it's, if it's a certain uh, bastion of like political incorrectness, it's uh, Seth MacFarlane. He, he keeps that going. So I'll give him that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm hopeful on it. And it'd be really nice to get a Revenge of the Nerds that's a lot less. Yeah, uh, but the uh, main thing that's going to be pretty much the main focus of this uh, particular show, in particular this news thing, because it's just it keeps generating news. Uh, we talked about it last week briefly, but they finally did it. The Mandalorian season two Ooh. finale. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, are you getting into the meat and potatoes? Do you want uh, you, you got anything more? Well, I'm just saying, if we're getting into the meat and potatoes, I want to I want to play the uh, intro for meat and potatoes. Go for it. All right, folks, let's get to the meat and potatoes of this. Potato. I love that intro. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so like I was saying, because you keep fucking interrupting me. You enjoy it. Yeah, I know you asked. <laughs> uh, like I was saying, this past Friday, The Mandalorian Season 2 finale aired on Disney+, Plus, and it has gone on to be the highest rated uh, episode of anything ever done on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> yep. Uh, no, freaking the response has been phenomenal. I remember I, 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 I stayed up just to you know watch it because it, it came on directly at midnight. And another news item that was relative to this, it actually broke Disney+. Plus. Yep. Because yep. like, I tried to get on there like a couple times and I could, like, kept saying, like, uh, sorry, we have internet issues or so, some shit like that. It just kept doing that. It, it took about a good crash. 15 Yeah, it crashed it, yeah. Uh, it took about a good 15 minutes to actually get it finally. And when I did, yeah, it, it was all in popping, bro. Like, freaking from get, you know. So uh, for those of you who have not seen the episode, if you haven't seen the episode at this point, like, that's a certain, like, couple of days that you get, like, a kind of a spoiler window. We passed that. So if you didn't see it, tough fucking luck. 
so uh, in the progression of this season, uh, the Mandalorian's quest has basically been to deliver the child, uh, uh, Baby Yoda, as everybody likes to call him, to the Jedi, because that's his people, that's where he belongs. And that's pretty much his mission that was uh, set forth from season one. Uh, they've had a lot of different uh, ups and downs throughout the whole season. Like every episode was like a damn side quest where like he would like uh, go somewhere and oh we need you to do this. Uh, hey, we need you to do that. <laughs> it, it just kept happening all over and over again. Like normally in most other shows, you keep seeing this happening. Like you're like, dude, what the fuck? Man? You know, y'all gonna let him do this shit? You know what I'm saying? Like all these side quests, you know. It's, uh, uh, sucking the air out of the room, but not in this case, because every side quest led to something else. It led to something else. It actually was connective, and also throughout the whole season, they introduced some of the great characters from Clone Wars and Rebels, and concepts from Clone Wars and Rebels uh, that you know uh, made those shows great. And I actually started getting into Clone Wars because of this show, because like I, I I didn't know a lot of the whole Mandalorian backstory. Uh, but they've introduced a live action. Uh, they introduced uh, uh, Bo-Katan, played by Katie Sackhoff. Uh, they introduced uh, Ahsoka Tano, played by Rosario Dawson. And they've also reintroduced, and we mentioned this a little bit earlier, Boba Fett, uh, played by Tamara Morrison, who played uh, Jango Fett in the Attack of the Clones movies. Um, and he, yeah, everything is great. Like, freaking, like all the action has been spectacular. The storytelling has been fantastic. Uh, and then, like I said, it culminates with this one great episode where, like, basically they have, like, a little Avengers thing where it's, like, and actually, one thing that, you know, happened in, the, in this episode that a lot of people are not really, like, they're, they're, they're on it, but at the same time, like, they're not on it a lot, that the main kill squad in this movie is all females. It's all female characters. Uh, they do this, like, uh, mission where they uh, get onto uh, the villain Moff Gideon's ship, and uh, basically the... Uh, female kill squad is a distraction for Mand the Mandalorian to go get the child. Uh, and like I said, it's all the strong women that have been displayed throughout the entire season, you got uh, Gina Carano as Cara Dune, uh, Ming-Na Wen as uh, Phoenix Shan, they got uh, Bo-Katan again, Katie Sackhoff, and also, like we mentioned this before, WWE superstar Sasha Banks as Casca Reeves. I didn't know her name the first time she appeared, but now they got it's Casca Reeves. Huh. And all killed it, man. It was great. Um, and they were just kicking ass. And then the thing about it is they didn't throw it in your face. This is an all-female squad. They were just all a group of badasses that just happened to be females, which I really do, I really dug on that. And, uh, of course... You got to do that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having strong female characters or whatever, but if you beat somebody over the head with it, and you lose the story, and it's not about the story anymore. Exactly. <laughs> Ghostbusters. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but they did this perfectly. Like, like, like I said, just four badass people that just happened to be females, you know? and that's all it was. And of course, the the long-awaited confrontation between the Mandalorian and Moff Gideon uh, had a great dark saber versus a uh, um, Beskar uh, spear fight, which is fantastic. Very short, but fantastic, uh, and also led to some complications. Uh, one of, the, one of the main reasons in the episode that Bo-Katan uh, joins the Mandalorian, even though they kind of have a little bit of a difference in terms of their ideology for the Mandalorian people, uh, she wants the Darksaber because of the fact she's a princess and she feels she is the rightful heir 
to the throne of Mandalore, which really doesn't exist anymore, but the Mandalorian people are still out there. They need a, they need uh, someone to, to uh, you know, unite them again. And she feels she is that person. Uh, so, like I said, during that particular episode, uh, Mando gets hold of a weapon called the Darksaber, which I just mentioned, uh, and tries to give it to Bo-Katan, but she can't take it because of the fact that the Darksaber has to be won through combat. Even though uh, in the Clone Wars TV show, I believe, she was just handed the shit the first time she had the Darksaber uh, by Sabine Wren. Uh, but in particular, the uh, Moff Gideon, of course, gets enjoyment out of this because he keeps telling them like no the dark saber itself doesn't have power the story of the dark saber does it has to be passed on through combat and until she wins it through combat she's a pretender to the throne so basically they kind of set up a little cliffhanger here what's going to happen between Bo-Katan and the Mandalorian because technically when the Mandalorian beat Moff Gideon he is now the ruler of Mandalore he doesn't want it but it's his now so, like, there's, there's a little uh, cliffhanger there. Now, another thing that this episode did very well is they, well, they, they've been teasing these characters, like, for, like, the last few episodes was the Dark Troopers, uh, these, like, droid-type uh, Imperial Troopers, uh, almost Terminator-like in terms of, like, uh, how powerful they are. You know, they're basically just mindless drones with rocket packs, and they're very strong, very powerful, definitely more effective than any of the goddamn Stormtroopers. Um, Stormtroopers are here, right? <laughs> might as well be, goddamn, because they, they, like, uh, that was uh, episode seven. We found out that a good chunk of them are basically just volunteers. Yeah, and well, then uh, also, yeah. yeah, yeah, and also, uh, somebody made a point of this, I believe, in the reaction videos. Like, why are people scared of stormtroopers? Because like every time you see them, they are getting slaughtered. You know what I'm oh. saying? The people that are scared of them don't have guns. True. It's a Second Amendment yeah. argument. If you got guns, you're fine. If you don't, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But they are getting. Yeah, every time you see them, though, they're just getting obliterated by well-trained people. Very well-trained people. <laughs> Except for um, what was the name of the um, Rogue One? Except for in Rogue One, Rogue One, they were forced to be reckoned with. Oh yeah, those like uh, the tan-looking ones. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, that was that was a killer film. And they actually had those characters in, the, I think, episode seven, uh, well, uh, episode six or seven, when the uh, Bill Burr episode. They were back for that shit. So it'd be funny if we uh, found out that stormtroopers were technically reservists or something, or like National Guard. That would make a lot of sense. I just like throwing that out there because I know you being an uh, active duty uh, corpsman probably have a yeah. opinion or two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I say it would make a lot of sense. <laughs> Uh, but the real, like I said, I mentioned a lot about the episode, but the real uh, cherry on the cake of the episode uh, is uh, in, in uh, like two episodes prior, um, which uh, in, I believe the episode was called uh, episode uh, chapter six, The, the Tragedy. Uh, there's one point where uh, the Mandalorian uh, sends uh, the baby uh, to a, a force sensitive temple. And uh, the baby gets a chance to summon a Jedi uh, using the Force. Uh, also, they also—I uh, I didn't really mention this, but uh, they mentioned the the name of the baby, Grogu. Uh, they introduced it this year. So, like, yeah. So, so the baby has three names basically. Either you call him Baby Yoda or Grogu or the child. One of the three. Uh, 
But yeah, he summons a Jedi uh, two episodes prior. Uh, you don't see who the Jedi is until this past episode. They're like, uh, it, it's, it's a real tense scene too. And actually, the episode who was, it was directed by Peyton Reed, who did you know, Ant-Man and Shaun of the Dead and shit like that. Uh, he did a really good job of building suspense in this episode. Very good job. This is a lot of moments, but there's not a lot of music. It's just like uh, I think in one particular moment, it's like it's like all the good guys in like the bridge, the dark troopers are coming in and they're just like punching the uh, metal doors and they're getting in, but it's like slow and methodical and just keeps building and then boom, boom, boom. And it's very slow and methodical. And then all of a sudden, an X-wing shows up. And uh, it's like, okay, just one X-Wing? Oh, wow, we're safe. But like, Grogu, you see you see the baby immediately uh, perking up and like being responsive to whoever's in that fucking X-Wing. And I, as soon as I saw the X-Wing, I knew exactly who the fuck it was. I'm like, are you serious? Are they going to do this? Like, what? And then, of course, the X-Wing comes in and uh, all the dark troopers stop immediately. They turn around like, uh, everyone's like, what the hell's going on? Even even Moff Gideon gets scared. Like, is that who I think it is? And then you see this cloaked figure walking through the fucking ship or whatever. Fuck, it just starts taking out dark troopers like it ain't nothing. And then like I was like, that's got to be him. That's got to be him. And then like another shot, you see this green lightsaber in a black cloaked hand. I was like, God damn it, it's Skywalker. And he destroyed those goddamn dark troopers. It was so fucking epic. And actually, at one point, they actually do a recreation of the fucking uh, the uh, the last scene of Rogue One with Vader in the hallway with those like uh, all those uh, New Republic people or whatever, another uh, rebellion people or whatever, like just slaughtering them right before you know, uh, right before the the droid, right before the end of the movie, pretty much, uh, where the droids get away and all that shit. Um, so they do a recreation of that with Luke against the Dark Troopers. And he, yeah, he just destroys them. Of course, the coup de grace of that scene is that at one point he takes his, the force and just crushes a goddamn dark trooper. And it's like, wow, you see how powerful it is. And the child, the whole time, is like watching their own video, uh, you know, touching the screen, like being, being responsive to this Jedi who we don't know who it is at this point. Uh, like, oh my God, it's him. Like, he, he knows him or whatever. And then, of course, the Mandalorian says, open the door and let this Jedi in. And it's revealed to be. Luke Skywalker. Uh, it, it is. It turned out. It turns out in the credits, it was actually Mark Hamill. Uh, he actually showed up, and they did the whole you know de aging thing on his face. It was you know not the greatest job of de aging, but still he got the job. I mean, I think I think it was pretty freaking fantastic. Yeah. So knowing, it, knowing it, what knowing what they have to work with and everything, and still trying to play with the timelines. Exactly. And uh, this is like Luke right after Return of the Jedi. So he has that look, you know what I'm saying, with the hair and the whole all black outfit and all that good shit with the black glove. So yeah, he has that Return of the Jedi look. And he come, and of course he comes in, the Mandalorian is like, are you a Jedi? I am. And uh, the, the baby is like automatically responsive to him. And he's like, hey, uh, hey, little one, I'm here. I'm here to get the baby. Like really? Like, yeah. Like he don't. And then Nano's like he don't want to go with you. Yeah, he does. He just wants. He just wants your permission. And then of course uh, the Mandalorian and Grogu have a very tearful goodbye. Uh, you know, Mandalorian telling him not to not to be scared, and this is where you're supposed to go. But at the same time, he don't want him to go either because that's you know 
they're a clan, they're a clan of two, you know what I'm saying? It's him and the baby. And of course, you know, the big you know reveal of that particular moment where the Mandalorian takes off his helmet, we see Pedro Pascal, and the baby touches his face, and they see each other for the first time, you know, because apparently he never took off his mask, even for the kid. So uh, this is the first time the baby saw him, you know, as he is. And just adding icing on the cake, here comes see uh, what's the name of R two D two coming coming behind Luke and shit. And apparently, looking at R two D two, apparently he recognizes the baby. Like they know each other. And there's a theory people's because people keep saying like uh, I think I mentioned I think they mentioned in like episode five the Jedi that the baby Grogu was there and uh, when they did Order sixty six and Revenge of the Sith, he was there. But they never reveal who got him out. So a lot of people are thinking the prevailing theory is R2-D2 got him out. Because of how R2-D2 responded to him in this episode. So like, oh, that would be interesting if they did yep. that. So. Although, I mean, well, but it's kind of weird because it's hard to figure out, you know, how, how Yoda ages, right? Like how that, because <laughs> the, the timeline to have it match up from was order 66 to this point for this age of luke skywalker and being a powerful jedi and all that other stuff i mean mm-hmm. that's that's a long time at least in human years isn't it yeah but i think i think between that is like maybe 20 it's, years but the baby is 50 years old well i mean but to be to, for luke skywalker to be that powerful of a jedi it's got to be at least 25 maybe 30 um, not necessarily. Like apparently, it's a baby when that happened, right? Because Pad Padme died like right after giving birth. Yeah. And so the timeline for six order six six and all that that'd be almost thirty years. Yeah, almost. Yeah, but like like I said, uh, the whole thing is even when he first get the baby, he's fifty years old, so he might have still been around. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, again, I, I'm not disagreeing with that. It's just more trying to figure out like how the aging process for that race of aliens works right yeah because like he's 50 years old and he's still a baby yeah 50 years yeah and he's still a baby yeah, yeah. and 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 yoda was elderly and he was 900 years old so yeah him. so that's it's kind of weird anyway whatever it's just just the, i mean i guess it kind of works if like you say a decade's about one year development and human years that'd be about right yeah exactly um so uh, apparently yeah. Uh, R2-D2 shows up. They eventually do, do take the baby. The baby goes with Luke Skywalker and R2-D2 to be trained. You know, Luke parts with the whole May the Force Be With You get down. And this is great just musical motif from uh, Luke with Goranson, who has been killing it on that show. Man. I, freaking like, I already loved his music prior to the show, but I really love his music. He really came into like his whole composer get down on this show, man, because he did great music for Creed, Fruitvale Station and Black Panther and all those movies before that, and also great work on, on uh, different albums. Like he did the uh, Childish Gambino album, uh, you know that shit. Stay woke, that's him. Okay, David Lawrence. So yeah, that great song, that great album. Um, uh, but yeah, he really came to his own on the show, man. Because like he's doing a whole, he's he's doing like different forms of music but still with the traditional star wars big brassy you know big brass orchestral orchestral section and shit like uh i remember the dark trooper theme is like fucking techno like house music 
Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of uh, hip hop motifs every once in a while. Like you hear some like fucking drum beats and shit on like uh like some so, you know, some hip hop beats or every once every once in a while. But like most of it is orchestral and most of it is in keeping with Star Wars. But he really went full brass with the uh, orchestral this last episode, especially the part where Baby Yoda's leaving because it's, it's real emotional, man. Like freaking like. And you see Pas- uh, as Pedro Pascal is watching the baby go away, being taken away by Luke Skywalker and R2-D2. And then like, they have the big moment where the elevator closes and that's the end of the season. And like, uh, I see, like I said, I've seen a lot of reaction videos. People were crying watching that scene. Man. Like, people were really emotional about this you know, relationship. Uh, I don't think necessarily that this is the end of Grogu on the series. I think it's the end of that storyline. But I'm sure they'll have an appearance on that character again. Like, cause it's just too, it's too invaluable to the series. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's big. Like, the episode ends on kind of a bittersweet moment because, like, Mando does complete his journey, complete his mission, but at the same time, Baby Yoda's got to go. So, well, and like you said, it's a great cliffhanger going into season two. In yeah, terms like of said, happy yeah. With the saber. And yeah, and then like I said, the dark saber thing, like freaking, that's still unresolved. We still got to get to that. And then, of course, they had the uh, edit, they do the credits and all this stuff. And then, like, what they do usually in the credits, and you know, this like uh, they do like uh, concept art of the episode uh, in the credits, but they didn't do that this time. It was all black. And then, all, another thing they don't do, they had a post credit scene. So, in the post credit scene, uh, they go to, you see, we're on uh, what's it, Tatooine again, because you see the two sons. And you'll see Jabba's palace. You're like, oh shit, I see Jabba's palace is you know fucking Return of the Jedi. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, uh, and then you see the uh, fucking dude that used to be his right hand man. I think his name is like Beeb for China or some shit like that. He's the new head of the you know Jabba the Hutt cult, or whatever the fuck. But then all of a sudden, you're saying Finn Shan comes in and starts wasting everybody, just taking them all out, uh, except for a prostitute. Uh, they let her go free. Uh, and then Boba Fett comes in and, and uh, old boy sees Boba Fett because remember, you know, last time they saw each other, they let Boba Fett die. <laughs> Boba Fett, you know what I'm saying, got, you know, accidentally, you know, hit by Han Solo and fell into a goddamn Sarlacc pit to be left for dead. Uh, <laughs> and Boba, Fett, Boba didn't forget that. So he comes back in the Boba Fett armor and no one's like, Boba, you know, I thought you were dead, man. Like, how you doing? <laughs> uh, we heard a lot of rumors and then Boba said, Boba Fett doesn't say shit, just blast him. Hmm. And then just takes the throne, bro. So now Boba Fett and Fennec Shan by his side, Boba Fett is now the new head of the Jabba the Hulk, you know, crime syndicate. And then they end the episode with uh, the caption, The Book of Boba Fett, coming December 2021. So that's so like we talked about the Disney Investor Day, I think last time. And that's one show that did not announce. This is a surprise. So that's Boba right. Fett is getting his own show, The Book of Boba Fett. I, uh, probably for Star Wars at this point, we're looking at the golden age of, of kind of this franchise, right? Because I mean, like, there's there's all kinds of great memes you've seen going around where people are making fun of like J.J. Abrams and all these different people. Like, well, how do we how do we appeal to millennials and still keep the uh, the uh, uh, baby boomers that grew up on this stuff happy and blah 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 blah. 
And it's like, it's impossible, you know, this is why we have to do it this way, where they're basically, you know, in some ways remaking the same, same show over and over again. And then you have like the next panels, like, um, you know, them doing like the blue milk and baby Yoda and stuff like that. It's like, see, we can, we can still appeal. I, I think because televisions, as people have been saying in that golden age right now of storytelling with these yeah. longer arcs and, and this kind of deeper storytelling uh, that they're getting into, we finally, with Mandalorian, and now, like you said, moving into the book of, of Boba Fett, we're in a place for Star Wars devotees where we're going to finally get some just killer original content that still takes place in this universe. Yeah, exactly. And there's so much coming. We mentioned it last time. Uh, um, just kind of a brief recap. Uh, they got the Ahsoka Talent Show where Rosario Dawson coming. They got the... Uh, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi show with Ewan McGregor and uh, Hayden Christensen re- returning as Darth Vader. They got fucking uh, The Bad Batch, which is a spinoff of The Clone Wars, which is animated. Uh, they're doing something called A Droid Story, which I think is like kind of like a kid's kind of animated thing as well. Uh, they got uh, what's the name? Andor, uh, the dude, the spy dude from uh, Rogue One, since we mentioned Rogue One. Uh, they got the uh, the, uh, the Acolyte, uh, which is apparently based on uh, Star Wars Legends type shit. Not really knowing about that. Uh, what else? Um, I'm trying to, I think I got most of them. Uh, let, let me ask yeah. you here, because I, I, I've got to be honest. I worked the premiere for this one, but I still haven't seen it. Did you watch Solo? Yeah. What'd you think? I didn't like it. See, that's what that's part of why I didn't get to it. I kept hearing such negative reviews on it, which kind of bums me out because I mean, the, let's be honest, from the original Star Wars, probably the two main characters everybody went the most crazy over, Han Solo and Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Right. And obviously Harrison Ford, uh, you know, being the better looking of the two. <laughs> yeah. Got a lot luckier in his career and 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 went on to do a lot of other, you know, awesome, amazing original characters. <clears throat> to get us, you know, Indiana Jones and even his take on, uh, on, on, um, oh, she doesn't say John Grisham, but it's not John Grisham novels. It's, um, uh, Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan novels. Yeah. And all, and all that stuff. And so it's like, you know, you can find kind of good positives and negatives on the others. I mean, the thing is like, when it comes to Luke Skywalker, there's only ever been one Luke. Mark's got it knocked, knocked out. He's got it locked out. That's why we keep bringing him back. He's reprising that role over and over again. I think, without having actually seen it and knowing the storyline, I think half the problem is who the hell is going to be the next Harrison Ford? That's a good question. I mean, if, if this is a big, if, but if he hadn't done guardians of the galaxy, I think the best bet would have been Chris Pratt. True. But he yeah, would, now, he, would have, he would have been able to carry that. I think. Yeah. But he is, yeah. He's star Lord now. For Star-Lord, yeah. You can't do it. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of, get all along. Yeah, and also, oh yeah, uh, Rangers of the New Republic, which I didn't really mention. Uh, that's going to be, I think, uh, that's going to be Gina Carano, Cara Dune's show. So she's getting the show. Everybody getting a goddamn show, man. Right. When are we getting yeah. ours? Who are you gonna play? I know. I want a fucking Star Wars show. That would be, be dope, bro. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Well, like I said, we are in kind of a golden age of uh, Star Wars here. And then the thing about it is I looked up a lot of the history of particularly of the Mandalorians and Mandalore and uh, particularly that uh, apparently it was created by uh, Joe Johnston who did, uh, who was the, you know, the director who did uh, uh, The Rocketeer and uh, that, that Wolfman remake with uh, Benicio Del Toro. He also did uh, Captain America, the first Avenger for Marvel. 
Uh, he was the one that came up with the concept of Boba Fett, and then it was drawn by a dude named Ralph McQuarrie. Uh, so they came up with the look of Boba Fett, and uh, George Lucas came in and uh, had some thoughts about you know, the concept of Mandalore and the Mandalorians. And like I said, it just started out as a sketch. Of course, they eventually had the one Mandalorian, Boba Fett, and then the world just expanded through like the legends, books, and comic books and shit like that. And like now, it even came into bigger uh, forefront on Clone Wars because the fact that you know John Favreau and Dave Filoni are such big fans of Boba Fett, they pretty much created a world for him and a people for him. And they created these codes and all these things that the Mandalorians live by, how they look, and they got the rocket packs and the helmets and the whole thing with them with Jedi. That uh, I mean, the, 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 the yeah. being like a space western. I mean that that's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, I thought it was a great idea. As soon as I heard it, I was like, that's dope. You know what I'm saying? And then when I heard The Mandalorian, I saw the look. I was like, is Boba Fett in the show? I mean, trying to find like, nah, nah. Yeah. He's not Boba Fett, but he's just like, he's part of Boba Fett. He's like, oh, okay. Well, it's it's almost analogous to uh, to the Klingons in Star Trek. Very much so. I was thinking warrior, that too. It's a warrior culture as a whole alien race. Yeah, and they're all about honor, and they're all about you know like uh, hold, upholding ancient traditions. Well, some sects are. Uh, and then that, and one thing, one thing that's also indicative of the Klingons—they're in constant war with each other. Well, and it's in some ways, you know, as far as like a like a human equivalent, um, it always there are certain aspects of it always remind me of uh, of uh, Polynesian culture, especially like Samoans, right? Because like yeah. Like with the whole thing with like the haka and all that kind of stuff, like it's a very much a a uh, a warrior kind of a mentality and, and cultural tradition. Now, obviously, you know, you don't. I'm not saying that they're out constantly conducting war. That's not their not their bag. But that whole family and clan feel uh, fealty that they have, you you kind of get that in the whole general idea of the the Mandalorian culture. It's very much about that cultural aspect coming into it, and it's very. Uh, aggressive on certain aspects of things and that tribal nature of things is still you know forefront in, in how they they conduct themselves in the world i can agree with that but i also agree, uh, think that the more prescient and the more like uh inspirational particularly to the filmmakers particularly george lucas would be the more of the samurai culture because i know you know because yeah, yeah, sure. uh, you know a lot of the aspects of star wars were based on like samurai movies Right, and especially on the Jedi side, yeah, hundred percent. I was just talking more specifically with the Mandalorian, like in this larger context or discussion of like, because I mean, we can you can break up certain bits and pieces, and you can find in world history uh, analogies to all kinds of different um, cultures and and warfare and things like that. I mean, obviously, a whole thing about the stormtroopers. There's certain aspects of the way he did the stormtroopers in the Evil Empire that has them very much uh, similar in look and scope and feel to like Nazi Germany, right? True. But there's, there's all uh, those different connections you can make. I was just saying specifically with the Mandalorian, certain mm-hmm. aspects of that remind me of Klingons and all that together kind of also ties back into like the Samoan uh, Polynesian warrior culture where there's there's a, a, a similar religious aspect. It lives out differently than the samurai side that you yeah. do, like the Jedi and those things. And then I mean, like I said, we can go on and on and on and, and yeah. dissecting all those things, but it's it's fantastic. And I think that because this is one of those things I, I talk to my wife about sometimes because, uh, you know, she's not from a filmmaker or a geek background. Um, so I, I'm usually kind of explaining some of this to her, but like the whole idea of the suspension of disbelief, right? Yeah. The more ridiculous and crazy your world is, the, the more monsters and the more sci-fi aspects you plug into it, 
the more real the people and their expressions and their reactions and the, the, the rules they live by has to be right. So that's why I'm saying like, when I see certain aspects of that and it's very heavily and reminds me of cultures and, and ways of living and people that you see and can find in the real world, mm-hmm. that's what allows you to go along with all the other crazy stuff that happens because it's still true. You know what I mean? True, yeah. Uh, my thing is uh, with the Mandalorian, particularly this is going back to the samurai thing a little bit, because of the whole aspect of Mando and the kid, you know, or, or the child or whatever, reminded yeah. me yeah. so many, reminded so many people of you know Lone Wolf and Cub, you know, what I'm saying yeah. those samurai movies, you know, what I'm saying, uh, particularly because the fact that you know, what I'm saying like uh, Mando is going to all these different places with with the kid. He always says, you know, wherever I go, he goes. And doing all these, you know, hardcore things, and the kid is like, you know, it's whatever. You know, but at the same time, everybody, everybody keeps saying he's a kid, but like I keep saying, he's fifty fucking years old. He's a middle-aged man, basically. But so, not uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. But uh, yeah, that, that whole aspect of just just that kind of Ronin lifestyle, of just you know, going from place to place, you know, getting you know uh, money for doing like certain jobs and shit. Very much Lone Wolf and Cub. Uh, I'm just interested, I'm interested to see how they go with it now because of the fact that the kids gone. So they'll probably be like more. I would say since we talk about westerns, let's go more. You know, man with no name type thing. You know, because that was the feeling I got initially before the baby even showed up. Show that he was going to be you know Clint's man with no name type. Thing. Well, the only thing I'm curious about since he's no, no, never mind. I was I was gonna I was gonna almost start to make a make a connection, but I think it's probably too soon for this. I bet at some point. It'll probably play out something more akin to uh, High Noon. Okay. I think I see that's where it's driving. I was I was almost gonna say this for next season, but that'll be the final season. Okay. It'll I, be I, somewhere I, between that or maybe Shane. Yeah. <laughs> Come back, Shane. Come back. <laughs> yeah, I can see Shane. I can never see Shane. Yeah, because I mean the High Noon one, like you know, he'd have to be going on to greener pasture, so to speak, and like fixing everything despite the fact that everybody's flipping them off and saying, get out, we don't want you. Yeah, so <laughs> that'd be cool, though. Like, yeah. either way, I'm looking forward to what they're doing for it. Like, you know what I'm saying? I did a whole thing with uh, John Favreau on Belsoverse, what you're talking about, because I saw this thing, of, like, uh, you got to give John Favreau his props, because, like, they showed, like, uh, he wanted to do a Christmas movie, he made an instant classic of He wanted to uh, do a superhero movie, he helped launch the MCU with Iron Man. And all of a sudden, he wanted to, you know, re, you know, revitalize Star Wars, create a goddamn Baby Yoda and all that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, freaking. So, Favreau, yeah, I give Favreau his props. And like I said on, on the same thing, like, I used to, I actually rewatched it again. I used to watch Dinner for Five on uh, IFC, which is a great show. And the WWE actually blatantly stole it with a table for three. Uh, but uh, still, like, they just, they changed the kind, they changed, like, the, the subject matter because it's wrestling as opposed to just actors, but same shit like classic people, uh, classic people in that particular field having dinner together, talking about you know, you know how they got into the business or how or what particular things inspired them, you know what they want to see for the future, thing of that, and it's just good conversation, you know what I'm saying? So I always respect. I'm, yeah, and I gotta say I've always been a fan of of Favreau's. Um, I mean, even even the little arc that he did on Friends. Um, you've seen Four Christmases, right? Uh, like once. It's okay. Wait, he plays Vince Vaughn's brother. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> that crazy MMA shit that he's doing—he's beating the shit out of John or out of uh, 
out of uh, Vince Vaughn. Just he does a similar. Class. He does a similar. He did a similar thing in that movie, The Replacements. Remember, he was the football. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The crazy linebacker dude. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's he's a hell of a funny actor. He's obviously a killer director. Iron Man. Outside of some of the Batman movies, the first Iron Man is probably my favorite comic book film. Yeah. I just love what I love how how him and, and Robert Downey Jr. brought that to life. Like you said, as far as like really launching this thing to the MCU and the expanded universe, bringing him in. I mean, he's he's definitely one of those guys that like it, we're all lucky that he's hung in as long as he has. Because I mean, if you watch, you go all the way back to the beginning of his catalog with Swingers. Yeah. When they were just tooth and nail fighting to like get something done yeah thank god that he didn't give up and you know go back to wherever he, he came from and take some job doing aluminum siding sales or something like yeah, he, we would all just, be worse off without him around he's just some guy in chicago i remember uh saying that he uh used to work at the second city i think he was like a waiter at the second city or some shit like that at one point and he actually was a production assistant on uh, a pa on uh, batman forever yeah. So, yeah, he just he started out, you know, he had humble beginnings just like everybody else, but like he's gone to a goddamn giant, man. More power to you, John Favreau, man. And I have nothing but trust for him and Dave Filoni with this particular series. I know Dave Filoni loves the hell out of some Star Wars because, you know, he turned Clone Wars and Rebels into these just cult classic TV shows and shit. And like I said, I've been getting into a little of Clone Wars too, particularly the Mandalorian centric episodes. And they just built such a big history, like you know, with the whole culture and, the, and their whole conflicts with the Jedi and their whole like inner like uh, inner workings of the Mandalorian culture. They created a whole goddamn culture. You know what I'm saying? It's really cool to see. So much so that I'm, at this point, I'm more interested in Mandalorians than I am Jedi, which is crazy. Well, that we kind of already. I mean, there's not too much left to tell us about the Jedi. And I got to say, the one thing that ruined. For me, Ruined Jedi was a whole midichlorian thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because now it's like, wait, so this isn't something that you could or couldn't have within you. and that Because, I mean, part of what was so alluring, I think, about the Jedi, the Jedi lifestyle and all that was that, you know, even though everybody, everybody knows, like, this is all, you know, again, that suspension disbelief thing, it's all BS. There's something kind of cool about the idea that anybody can be a Jedi. You just have to devote yourself to it. But now when it's like, no, you're born with it, like, being born LeBron James and you can dunk on everybody. And yeah. it's like, well, shit, I can't dunk on anybody. So obviously I'm never going to be in the NBA. Like it's, it's just one of those weird things where even though, again, we're talking about something that never could have happened to begin with that added layer of something biological that keeps you from being able to do it. I think kind of, kind of demystifies it in some ways and makes it less appealing. Whereas like, like you're talking about when you're looking at, um, you know, the Mandalorian and that whole thing, it's like, I mean, technically, if you sign up for it and you live by that code, you can do it. Basically, yeah. Yeah, like I said, like I said in the first season, the Mandalorian is not a race. It's a creed. It's just something you live by. You know what I'm saying? You don't, same thing with the Jedi. It's not a race. It's a creed. You live by it. You devote and yourself to it. <laughs> yeah, and you have to have some Metachlorians. You can do it. <laughs> but it's still cool to see. And I'm pretty sure they have more Mandalorian versus Jedi conflicts. And now with the whole Bo-Katan thing, I'm pretty sure they'll have some more into the whole Mandalorian inner strife between the different clans and shit. You know how, because uh, apparently Mando is part of what they call the Watch, the Death Watch. Uh, well, I won't say Death Watch, but the Watch or whatever, like the 
old school. Uh, we're, you know, the, the most devout kind of like Mandalorians, whereas Bo-Katan is not, you know what I'm saying? And then all these other people are not. Um, and that's another thing that he foreshadowed a lot in the season where whenever Amanda would meet somebody in a Mandal- in Mandalorian armor or, uh, uh, you know, with Mandalorian armor, they would always take off their helmet in front of him. And he was just like, what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. You don't take off your helmet for nobody. <clears throat> and like, they did a bunch. They did with, what was the name, uh, uh, the first the first episode with uh, was in the Cobb Vanth with uh, Timothy Oliphant took off his helmet, then uh, Bo-Katan took off her helmet, and then all the other people that with Bo-Katan took off their helmets, and uh, and then eventually he meets Boba Fett who basically was just walking around without no helmet until he got his armor back, you know. So like they, they did a lot of foreshadowing to the him like kind of like maybe maybe kind of skewing off the more devout route devout route because he took off his mask a couple times a season. Maybe he might be you know, a little more enlightened now that he's out in the world and shit. You know what I'm saying? So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's look, it's a good time to be a Star Wars fan. I'll say that. And I haven't been able to say that for a while. I, I felt it when Rogue One came out and then it went away. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to point fingers to exactly when it went away, but it went away for a minute. And yeah. Uh, yeah, Mandalorian's definitely revived my my enthusiasm for uh, for the Star Wars universe. I, I think I think this is one of those things where, you know, it was the right thing for the franchise, for the storyline, for the universe that that uh, we were able to have Lucas sell it to Disney, and that Disney brought in you know Favreau, and that they're mm-hmm. able to make these new new storylines and, and expand out this rich, rich, amazing tapestry that. Has been built over the last, you know, 35, 40 years. Uh, one last thing before we go ahead and get off the subject. I saw a reaction video to uh, the la- the end of Rise of Skywalker where Ray pretty much bogarts the name Skywalker. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in the theater, I was dying laughing. Everybody was like, because uh, like the, uh, the whole end of the scene is Ray goes to uh, the place where, you know, Uncle Owen and Amberu live, where Luke used to live, and buries like his lightsaber and uh, Leia's lightsaber and shit kind of like a makeshift funeral for them. Um, and uh, some lady comes up and says, hey, what's your name? And then like, Ray looks talking in the distance. She sees the force uh, spirits of Luke and Leia and tells the lady, my name is Ray Skywalker. And then everybody in the theater like, no, no, get the fuck out of here. Bullshit. <laughs> and, it was, it was and actually, even before that, when, they, when the lady asked, what's your name? Somebody's like, don't you say it. But you fucking say it. <laughs> They're fucking saying it. She looks at the, she looks at the force spirits or whatever. I'm like he's like, no, no. And then she said, "Race No, fuck you, fuck stones. Like, it was so this, was hilarious. And then I thought it was just the one thing. And then I looked at a couple of them. Like, yeah, it was. It was <laughs> it's across multiple uh, different. Uh, theaters and shit, and yeah, everybody had the same reaction. Don't you dare fucking say it. You know, to to go back a little bit and and just to give J.J. Abrams the props that he's due, um, I I have nothing majorly positive to say about his Star Wars uh, incursion, but I do think what he did with Star Trek. I was just about to say that. Yeah, he, well, he did good Star Trek. Pops all day on Star Trek. I think I think that was a great reboot. I think for the generation that had never seen it, 
it was it was worth uh, dragging them in and getting them on board the Captain Kirk uh, train. Um, I you know, look, he's batting he's batting five hundred. That's that's pretty pretty awesome. And you know, financially he's fine. So, is what it is. <laughs> it, is, it, is it is what it is, man. Maybe All they right, so. wise up, and when they do the next uh, official episode, uh, when they do episode <laughs> nine, they'll uh, they'll let Favreau take it over and try to fix everything. No, actually, uh, I think the next coming movie is going to be uh, Taika Waititi. No, I know, but I mean, when they do the next episode, when they do episode nine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. they'll uh, just let Favreau come in and try to salvage. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Uh, well, like I said, that's all I got for Star Wars and Mandalorian. I mean, we could we could go on and on, but for this episode, yeah, I agree. I think that's a good good stopping spot. All right, cool. All right, so uh, folks, we really uh, thank you, number one, for sticking with us this past year. It's been a rough year for everybody. I uh, really hope you enjoyed the holidays, uh, whatever you celebrate, and uh, pretty much like Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, you know, Happy Holidays to you all. Uh, on behalf of Dropping the Culture, I'm JD. I'm AJ. And we'll see you guys in the next coming year. Peace. Dropping that culture. 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 Dropping that culture.